Hey, my name is Philip Craig. I'm the pastor here at Aria Church. Thanks so much for joining us. I hope this podcast empowers you, hope it fuels your faith, and hope it impacts your life. Enjoy the message. Thank, thank you so much uh, for that welcome, and it, it's really fantastic to be here. Great to see the kids, isn't it? It was brilliant. I actually had a bit of a kids week a couple of weeks ago myself when I was with my nine grandchildren for a week, stuck in two houses in Donegal. Uh, I don't know if that would qualify as a kids week, would it? It, it? it might. It's funny, there are 19 of us in all in two houses on the beach and it was what a great time. But I, I, we, we, uh, we used to do it for two weeks, but we kind of wanted to stay friends. And so we... Uh, <laughs> Headed to cut it down. We, eventually, we called it the Big Brother House because we had to eject a few people because <laughs> of their behaviour. Mostly my, mostly my four daughters. The grandchildren were fine. It was my, my children that were terrible. But it was, a, it was wonderful and wonderful to see what God's been doing in your lives over the last three years. I remember uh, meeting Philip for lunch one day and he said, I want to show you something. He came down here and I think you'd, you'd just begun to paint it black, isn't that right? <laughs> And it was, it was, you know, I sort of looked at it and thought, this man has faith. He definitely has. This man has faith. But, but what an incredible journey it's been, uh, touching lives, seeing people come to Christ, and that young people uh, nurtured in the Christian faith. Uh, we're so delighted about that. And again, if you're a, a, a guest here today, we want to welcome you as well. Uh, I, I want to sort of do a couple of things today. Uh, I want to talk to you about... Um, I'm going to read from Deuteronomy chapter 1. Seems a strange passage, but I really felt the Lord speak to me about today and about the stage you're at in your church. And I wanted to uh, say something, I hope, to the church, but also to you as an individual. And, and so I'm going to pick up. I've called the message today, Traveling or Wandering. Traveling or Wandering. They're not the same thing. Traveling or Wandering. Uh, I'm going to read in Deuteronomy chapter 1. And I'm not going to read the whole chapter, but uh, I'm going to read a few verses, and then I will comment and set the context of the chapter, and then make an application, and then move on through the chapter a little bit. Uh, The the context is that it's Moses looking back over the last 40 years. He's not looking forward. It's not the beginning of their journey in the desert. It's a retrospective look at what actually happened. And, and he begins to, he begins to dissect it. They're just about to go into the land. But he then begins to talk about what has happened and happened at the beginning. And it says in Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 6, The Lord our God said to us at Horeb, You've stayed long enough at this mountain. Break camp. Advance into the hill country of the Amorites. Go to all the neighboring, uh, local, the neighboring peoples of the Arba and the mountains and the western foothills and the Negev and along the coast to the land of the Canaanites and Lebanon as far as the great river, the Euphrates. See, I have given you this land. Go in and take possession of the land that the Lord swore he would give to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and to their descendants after them. I, I would say that uh, in the words of Winston Churchill, um, this is the end of the beginning of the phase you're at in your church's life. It's been three years, and you kind of think, goodness, we're really old these days. And, uh, but you're not. In one sense, you, the scaffolding has just begun to be taken down. And I sense that there's a, a new phase coming in the church's life. Uh, the, our, our passage is... Uh, 
I think this is a landmark for some people individually and both uh, collectively. The people of Israel were a people who had been in slavery for 400 years, and they were rescued by God, taken across the Red Sea to enter the land that God had promised them, a place where they could fulfill the mission that God had given to Abraham. Uh, And uh, they'd given them this this promise that, uh, that you will be a blessing to the nations. Uh, They didn't know where they were going, but they still carried that purpose within them. Uh, And they they knew that their purpose was before they knew what their place was. Purpose always comes before place. Purpose always comes before place. And there's something very powerful about knowing why you're called to do something. But places are important as well. Could I say something about that? The people of Israel were in Egypt. They were always the right people. They were just in the wrong place. You have to have the right people in the right place at the right time in order to make that a place for God. And you know, although I've sort of joked about this place, this has been a place for God. This has been a blessing for you. This has been God's provision for you as a church. And and you've got to feel that you fit in a place. That's why you're here today. You're not here by accident. God's brought you here because he has a purpose for you. And when you, find, when you find your purpose, you find your place. And there's something very powerful about that, about knowing what the place is. And God's called you to minister to him in this, uh, in this town, but also in this county and right throughout, right throughout the nations. I remember many, many years ago, when we were just a, few, a handful of us, I was in a meeting that I'd never been in anything like it in my life. And a man, a man didn't know who I was, an American, and he picked me out. And he said to me, I've got a picture of an island with a light in the northeast corner. He said, does that mean anything to you? And I went, well, let me think a wee minute. Oh, yeah, that'd be Ireland. That would be Belfast. And he, and, he, and he talked about the light that God had put in our hearts that would shine not just in, in our locality, but throughout the whole island. I think there's a sense in which you've got to think, hey, you know, God's given you something. And it's not just for a, a few people. In, in How do you pronounce the, the street that you're in? Clacker, cacker, clacker, mucker, clacker, cacker, clacker, mucker, cacker street. You know, it's for, the, it's, it's for broader than that, Philip. Something powerful. You've got you to lift your gaze and lift your sights to what God has called you to. And that's why you find yourself here today. Uh, the people of Israel, uh, the story is, of course, that, um, and if, if you're not, if you have no Bible background, if they'd gone on a straight line uh, to where to where the Sinai Desert, to the promised land that God had called them to, anything between 11 and 15 days they could have done it in. It's a very straight line. But they get diverted, and they're diverted, diverted to the Sinai Peninsula. That's why it's called Horeb Sinai. But because, and they're there for about, until this point, they're there for about a year and a half because God's got something to do in them. And I want, to, I want to commend you for building good foundations. And that's what God wanted to do to his people because he had to, I suppose he had to get something into them. Don't forget they're 400 years in slavery. So he has to put something into them that will hold them instead for the journey ahead. And first of all, he built a, a relationship with them. They, 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 had, they, were, they were slaves in Egypt. And God begins to a process of showing them how it's possible for ordinary men and women to come into the presence of God without being afraid because God has made a way. And the way is, of course, in our Jesus Christ. 
There is no other way. And God establishes the offerings. When you read them out of context, you think they look bizarre where they had to kill animals. But of course, they all pointed towards Jesus. And God establishes with his people that he's in relationship with people. God still offers that to us today, doesn't he? Men and women can come into the presence of God and they can have forgiveness of sin, freedom from a guilty conscience, have a purpose and a place and a guarantee to be with Christ for all eternity. God still offers that to us today, and that's our message. I want to commend you again. You know, whenever Paul commended the churches in the New Testament, he didn't commend them for their size, for their music, or even for their children's program. He commended them generally for three things. Number one, their faithfulness to Jesus Christ and the gospel. And you've put some foundations in here, Philip, and you've been faithful to the gospel. Don't ever lose that. Because if you lose that, you lose your way. He he commended them for their love, their love for each other and the love for the people around about them. And here's another thing. He commended them for their manner of their living, the way they lived their lives that was different from the people they lived among And when you put those in place, you realize that's what he commended them for. I want to commend you for preaching the gospel. Don't ever lose that. The second thing that that they... God wanted to do was to give them a new identity. Remember, they've been slaves for 400 years. And sometimes when you live with something long enough, you think that's what you actually are. And so it's the first mention where God becomes their father. He takes them from being a people who are under slavery and in slavery, rather, to to being sons and daughters of God. He brings them into a, a relationship that is unique and wonderful and the most exciting thing. Can you imagine if you've been a slave and part of a slave culture for 400 years and suddenly the God of eternity says, you're going to be in my family now. And that's what God does with men and women, doesn't he? He brings people who, who feel they're on the outside and he says, no, I want you to come in. And he makes them part of his family and he says, you can call me father. You can call me father. Some of us, some of us that creates all sorts of Dilemmas, doesn't it? I, some of you, like you, Philip, you're a great, you, you have a great father. Anna, you have a great father. I, and, and some of you, but some of you, your father. My dad, my dad abandoned my family when I was 16. I saw him three times in the rest of my life. And so it took me a while to understand what it was like to have a heavenly father who would never leave me or never let me down. That's what God offered to these people and he offers to you today. The third thing that that he gave them, and again, I've sort of mentioned it, he gave them distinctive values. He made them different to the people around them. Not weird, but he he gave them as a gift the law. The law was a gift to them to show them how to live. And and I mean, sometimes you read the Old Testament and you think, oh my goodness, but you know, the rights of women were established for the first time in the law. It It was revolutionary. And he gives them distinctive values. And, and the reality is, God's given us distinctive values. The problem is that every time the people of Israel tried to be like the people around about them, they were less effective and least effective in their mission and their purpose. I don't want you to be weird, but I do want you to get a sense that when you're a child of the king, he calls you to live in a different way. He calls you to live in a different way. Not, not to put you down, but to give you freedom to honor him in the way that you live your life. 
He gives them distinctive values. And he gives them purpose. The purpose was to Abraham to bless the nations. Israel's, Israel's purpose was always to be a light to the nations. They were never, ever, ever called just to simply say, wow, look at us. Their, their ultimate purpose was always that they would attract people to the God of heaven, and that's our purpose as well. That is our purpose, that we are here on a mission together. God's given us all this. Why? Because there's a, there's a, there's a people, there are people in our city and our town and our county today who don't know this wonderful Father. The fourth thing that, that He gave them, this is the fifth thing actually, was presence. He gave them presence. I love that. You know, I was in, I was in a church recently and it was raw. Honestly, it wasn't as... They didn't have a, they didn't have a singer like Jude. They, he didn't have... You know, that was... It was raw as the... I'm using that polite word, okay? It was... It was but it was... You know something? Presence of God. So what's that like? I don't know, but it's better felt than felt, doesn't it? You come into the middle of it and you go, wow, God's in this place. And, and you can have the slickest presentation in the world... And, and, you know, we will never recreate. We can never outspend MTV and stuff like that. We don't have enough money. But they ha we have something they don't have. You know what that is? The presence of God. God's presence in our midst. And, and they, got they, got, they got that. And, and the sixth thing was the place that they were going to go to. So I want to I just say, I, I want to commend you all for, for being true to the gospel of Jesus and for creating an environment uh, that actually honors God. The, the, for those of you who are from a Presbyterian background, don't put your hand up, okay? <laughs> uh, uh, the, the shorter catechism says this. The very first line is this. What is man's chief aim? And the reply is, does anybody know? Man's chief aim is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Glorify God. So God creates a people who are here to glorify Him. Now, after 18 months or so, and let me, let me move on, um, you know, God has fed them, He's watered them, He's clothed them, they want for nothing, and then God says, time to break camp, time to move, and they don't want to go. They don't want to go, because why? Well, it's, it's pretty comfortable, you know, you get your food and your water and, your, and all the rest of it, and, and who wants to go? And it was the mountain of the Lord, it was a great place, God showed up. What I found in this, in, in, in the Christian life, both personally and corporately, if your experience of the glory of God, although it's an intense one and a very important one, does not result in movement or character transformation, you will turn that experience into an idol. You look back and you go, wow, that was the best time in my life. We, we all do that, honestly. Remember the good old days? Ah, you know, there's more people. Look at all those children. Wasn't it great when there's just two children here? Oh my, it was wonderful. Just the two children, they got all the attention and all the love. We don't want all those new people coming in. They'll just annoy us all, for goodness sake. And, and you do that. It's just who we are. Those were the good old days. But there comes a moment, both I think in our lives, when you get movement. You know, it's not that, it's not that you spit and you go, wow, fine. what you've done has been fantastic. Foundations, you put something in there. It's been faithful to the gospel, loving each other, living a life which is honoring and glorifying to God by your distinctive values. And you get to that point. But actually, as a movement, we, gotta, we don't keep moving and getting a sense of what God wants for us, whether that's location 
or, or stretching ourselves or doing something different. I, I, just, I just get a sense. Sometimes you look, you look at what happened and you say, wow, it was always good. That was the best time in our lives, and it's time for movement. I, I've, one of my things in life is I, I've, sometimes it's hard to distinguish between what is a command and an invitation. You ever notice that? It's like when you're, you know, when you, I don't know if you ever went out, I'm of an age where you went out to play and you never came back in for meal times, and your mother stood at the back door and said, Paul, it's tea time, come for your tea. Now, I thought it was an invitation, but it was a command, really. <laughs> do you know, do you know, it's not, it wasn't really an invitation. And I, I, I often tell the story, I got, a, it's a long story, but I got arrested in Royal Avenue. No, seriously, I did. And I was posting a letter, and I got a, somebody poked a gun on my back, there was six soldiers behind me, and, and uh, he said to me, uh, you're under arrest for murder. I, I thought, I was looking for cameras, you know, there's a, something good on it. And, uh, and then he said this, an English soldier, and he said, um, would you mind coming with me, please? Now, I thought, it sounded like an invitation, but he said, <laughs> as he had a sterling submachine gun stuck in my back, it was definitely, it was definitely a command. And, and you find that with the voice of God. We think, we think that God says, look, Philip, you know, and the rest of you, if you feel, you know, look, look, it's not a big problem, but if you don't want to do it, don't worry about it, but I'm going to suggest this to you, and you might want to take it under your, you might want to, but actually when God comes, you know, and he speaks to you, it's a bit like starting this church, you know, you, you go, well, it would have been disobedience not to do it. It wasn't a suggestion. It was a command. And when God breaks into your life, there are moments like that where he says, it's time to move. Yeah. And could I say this to you kindly? Some of you are plenty of movement, pl plenty, but you're wandering. It's wandering in your own spirit and your own soul and looks okay, but you're not traveling anywhere. You're not going and growing with God. I think today God's saying, some people need to take stock and say, I don't want to just wander. I want to be a traveler with God. And with this church, a lot of ch listen, there's a lot of good churches around in this country of ours. There are great ones. Some wander and some travel. A lot of movement, a lot of activity going on. But God wants us to be travelers and not wanderers. There's always a call. I think there's always faith. There's always fear as well. I think, you know, one of the, one of the things that uh, God says most is uh, fear not. You know, and I always think whenever you hear that word, you know, be afraid, be very afraid, because God's going uh, uh, to command you to do something which may very well make you afraid. That's why he says, don't be afraid. And, and you get this sense in your, the pit of your stomach where you go, well, you know, I thought, we'd, I thought we'd, we could just settle where we are. No, God wants you to press in to everything that he has for you. I was a, been a Christian for a, a number of years, and uh, I was from a brethren background. I've often said that, and I'm, I'm uh, proud of that, and I thank God for the heritage that I had. Uh, but there came a moment whenever I had an encounter with the Holy Spirit, and I, I had a moment in my life where it was, it was, it was a, I, I call it just one of those pivotal moments when I had the opportunity to take a step back or go forward with God. And I said yes to God. And even though I'd been a Christian for 15 years, I had an encounter with God that changed my life and ultimately led to the planting of CFC, actually, and, and, and all, that, all that came through that. But I think there's always fear. I was, I was 
deeply afraid of what would happen. I, I think there's always reassurance. God promises you His presence, and there's always a decision. You get a, cho- you get a choice. No matter what your background, you know, God gives us choices, and you get a choice to say yes or no. And I think that always leads to a changed life, because whenever something, whenever God commands you to do something and you don't do it, uh, God doesn't ch- See, people say, well, that's it, you're all. No, no, God doesn't change towards you. You change. You change. You become a little bit harder, a little bit more resistant to the voice of God. And, and when you say yes, something changes in you as well. You, you begin to, you, you expect the voice of God in your life. I, I, want, to, I want to be part of a, a church who say yes to God on a regular basis. Whatever he says to you, you say, yes, I'll do it. I don't know all the details, but I, I, I don't worry about that. That's why it says, for I know the plans I have for you. And the Lord says, the Lord says well, you don't need to know them because I know them. <laughs> you know, we get, all t- we get all worried about it. The Lord says, no, I know the plans I have for you. I know what they are. And there comes a moment when you take that step and you move forward with God. I think you're at one of those moments. I don't know what it'll look like. I, I, you know, don't, don't, it doesn't, I don't think it'll be painting the place white. Do you know? <laughs> Or, or, or it's, that's not what I'm talking about. But I just think you're at stage you, three years, built some great foundations, and yet the Lord says, okay, done that. Let's move forward. Let's not settle back on what we've got. Let's, let's believe that in a couple of years' time, we'll see double the number of children up here, indicative of the people who've been reached with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, let, let me explain to you, whenever you, whenever, it, whenever you, you, uh, you try to stay where you are, it becomes, and I've used, I've used the, it's a pea shooter, I call them, they all begin with the same thing, okay? It's the camp of comfort, the camp of comfort, the camp of comfort. Life was good and they were safe, but they'd gotten into a rut. And there's something about comfort do you, know what the, do you know what the best-selling chair in the UK and America is? Anybody take a guess? Come on. Lazy boy. Thank you. Without you, Edith, there. Lazy boy. Of course, it's not worker boy. It's lazy boy. I had one in my office for years. I, was that, I loved that chair. And it's... I used to call it my prayer chair because you just pulled the lever back and you fell down. You went, our father, and you were gone completely. <laughs> Honestly, talk about having the snooze. I loved it. Karl Barth, the, the German theologian, said that, he said that comfort was the siren call of our age, as in the sirens who lured men to the rocks uh, in, in uh, Homer's Odyssey, the siren call of our age. There's something about that. Uh, we used to have a dog at home. I live with my grandparents because of the family breakup. And uh, we had a guard dog, uh, an Alsatian called Saber. And you know something? I hated that dog with all of my heart. Hated it. Because he kept biting me and biting everybody else. We eventually had to chain him up. And we put, him, put a chain and a, quite a long lead on it. Maybe, maybe a 12-foot lead. It was quite long. And that, that thing just went round and round and round. And as the years went by, he just built this channel. It was a rut. He dug a rut for himself because he couldn't move. Now, we stopped him, of course. And you see, when he died, you're going to think I was heartbroken, but 
I was delighted. <laughs> Hated that dog with all of my heart. And, and so there's some, nothing stays the same. I think that's, that's what I always think. People think if we could just stay the same, but nothing stays the same. Everything changes. Everything, people move. You know, things go, things go, things get different, and you, you get a sense of God's heart. But there's, a, there's something in which nothing ever stays the same. And that's why God calls for constant transformation to be, as Romans calls it, conformed to the image of Christ, becoming more like Jesus every day. Sometimes we're content to stay in the camp of comfort and wander. And God says, time to move. I want you to be a traveler. The second thing that happens, I think, is it becomes a camp of complacency, a camp of complacency, a new land to explore and occupy. But of course, when you're stuck in the same place, you think that's all there is. That you, you do, you, you kind of go, this is, I remember the first time I left Northern Ireland and, and went overseas. I, you know, I, I, I couldn't, you've no soda bread. What is wrong with you people? This is a backward country, America. You don't have potato bread. Honestly, it was just why my hair fell out. It was just so awful. You know, you kind of think that you, you are the embodiment of all that there is. But of course, that's, that's not true. You know, I, I want to discover more of God. I'm, I've actually just reached the age of 70. You're shocked. No, and you kind of go, you know, part of, me, part of me goes, well, I've done this in my life and I've done that. And it would just be nice to, you know, watch Bargain Hunt all the time and, and, and just settle down and do what I do and all the rest of it. And, and every now and then God says, you know, Paul, I'm, I'm still moving. I've still got a plan for you. I've still got something new for you to do. I, I, got, I got the biggest shock in my life when uh, we were building a church. I, I probably mentioned this, but we were we our building and built, built an extension, blah, blah, blah. And then we were going to do an £8 million extension, uh, which when you think of it, it was, it was... And I was sitting there and I had a visiting speaker who only met twice in my life. He'd never preached in the church. And as, I, as he's... I'm thinking about the future and what God's got in my life. And as, and as he's speaking, the Lord spoke to me and he just said to me, that's your successor. I've got something new for you to do. And I, I remember saying, well, how's that going to work? Because I'm not going anywhere. <laughs> That's, uh, honestly, I can have that conversation with myself. But, I mean, as it transpired, of course, it was Andrew McCourt. And, and, God, and God said, I've got something new and fresh for you to do. And so I retired at the very early age of 59 and a half from, from leadership of CFC and started a 10-year journey of traveling. And it's been the most incredible journey. Probably reached more people in the 10 years than I ever did in, in the 35 before that. But it was a new day for me. And I, and I think actually COVID has done something that I don't want to travel as much anymore in terms of across 95 flights a year. That was, my, that was our life, which was exciting and fantastic. I don't want to do that anymore because God's got something new for me. I don't want to become complacent. He's still got more to do in me. I'm nearly perfection, but not quite. <laughs> He's got more to do through me as well. And the third, the third thing that happens is this. When you stay the same and you don't move when God calls you, it becomes a camp of complaint. It does. Honestly, it's, you know, do you know, it's, it's that, you know, when you used to love something and then it begins to irritate you. Have you ever, 
you get that about people, don't you? You get, you're, if, you're, if you're newlywed, you, you're married about, if you're a wife, you're married about two weeks, and what you thought was cute in your husband begins to grit on you. <laughs> Life is like that. When you stay the same, it becomes a camp of complaint. The drums used to be wonderful, but now they're too loud. You, you know, in church, I've, I've, heard, I've heard, and it's not, it's not that there aren't legitimate concerns and, and, and things that you, you but, but there's something in us, if we're not continually, not seeking new stuff, but going deeper into God and traveling with God, you, you begin to complain about what you had, because in the Christian life, it, it's a full-time occupation, and as you, you get a sense of God's purpose in your life, you either go with it, and you're excited by it, and, 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 and most, you know, most of you, as I did for many years, you know, had to cut corn Monday to Friday. You have to do that. That's life. But in the middle of it all, something in your heart that goes, I want to be a traveler with God. I don't want to be a person who complains about everything, a moaner and a groaner. I ha honestly, it's, you, you, might, you might think I'm Mr. Encouraging, but you know, my, person, my personality profile is this. If you don't hear from Paul, assume, he's do, you assume you're doing a good job, because if you're not, you soon will. <laughs> I honestly had to really work hard at that. And I, what I did was, for many years, I'm, I don't think I've ever told this publicly before, if, for every Thursday, I would write a dozen handwritten thank you notes to people out of our congregation. And, and thank them for what they've done and what they're doing and God's and, and signed it and gave it and sent them. For years I did that. I, until I did hundreds every year because it trained me to be an encourager and not a complainer. Something powerful about that. When you don't move forward, it becomes a camp of complaint. And the third thing, very simply, is this. That, that, the fourth thing, well, I've got my twos and my threes and my fours mixed up. And, uh, but number four is this, a camp of cynicism. Camp of cynicism. Cynicism is where you begin to doubt the motivation of someone. Skepticism is you doubt their you doubt their ability to do something. For instance, if I said, "Look, it's Rebecca," who, who's who's the keyboard player? Re Rebecca. If I said, "Rebecca, at the end, I'm going to take over and play the keyboard," you would be you would do right to be skeptical about that, okay? Because I can't play the keyboard, okay? You doubt somebody's ability. But if you said, he's only doing that because he wants himself, he wants, to, he wants to put himself forward, that's cynicism. It doubts motivation. The, the unfortunate thing is that we, we, we adopt, we become cynical, and we doubt people's motives by their actions because you don't know what's really in their heart. That's what happens. But when churches get a, I call it a cancer, and there's something very awful about it, when people begin to doubt motivation. And when you do that, I used to say to people, if you, if you doubt my ability, talk to me. If you're cynical, talk to God. Because it has to, be, has to be rooted out of your own life. Don't become cynical. Assume the best about people. Assume that they really want to live for God and glorify Him. Assume that the reason this church was started was to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Assume that it wasn't simply to give a man a platform. Plenty of platforms. That, that man could have gone anywhere in the United States. 
but it was actually to glorify God and be a light in this town with the other good lights of the other churches as well. Don't become cynical. And so you, you come to a point where you go, I'm going to be a traveler or I'm going to be a wanderer. Uh, it's funny, uh, later on, down, just literally on down the passage, Moses starts to uh, talk to God about the difficulties that he has. And, uh, and he, he says, Lord, you know, he basically says there's too many people. And it's interesting what, what he says. He doesn't say, let there be less people. He says, let there be more people. If you, if you, if you read it, I'll, in fact, I, I will. At that time, I said to you, you're too heavy a burden for me to carry alone. The Lord your God has increased your number, so today you're as numerous as the stars in the sky. Now, you would have thought at the end of that, he said, look, could you cut them in half, please, because I can't deal with it anymore. Here's what, he, here's what he says. May the Lord, the God of your ancestors, increase you a thousand times and bless you as he has promised you. And, and sometimes you've got to go, you've got to go, uh, and his father-in-law stepped in and he said, no, Moses, that's great, but you're taking on too much of a burden. And I think, I think that in the early stages of a church, it's a very small group of people who carry the weight, financial, uh, emotional, spiritual, physical, a small group of people. But if you're going to get bigger, what does he do? He says, listen, appoint, appoint men over groups of men. In other words, delegate responsibility. And, and there's something very powerful in building a team, isn't it? Something very powerful in building. At the start of CFC, you, you, believe it or not, with all that came out of CFC in terms of Robin Mark over the years, etc., there was a moment when it was so, our, our music was so bad that I led it a cappella. Honestly, I, I, I led it a cappella. I did everything. Because I, I, I was, because in the brethren they don't have any any music, any any musical instruments. So I was the presenter. So you have a little tuning fork. I mean, you, we were singing. So you hit the you hit the wooden bench. You get the note, and then you sing. So I can sing in tune. I did everything, but guess what? I nearly had a nervous breakdown. <laughs> and and I suppose just to say to you, you know, this is a time for taking fresh responsibility. Some of you are great people, and, but God says to you, this is the moment where you stop wandering and stop being in comfort and actually go, can I take some responsibility here? The people who do what needs to be done for the good of the community nearly always get to do what God has called them to do on their own. I taught Sunday school for 14 years. Took one Sunday off a year, Easter Sunday, that was it. And the brethren, listen, hardcore. If Sunday was on a Christmas day, we had Sunday school on Sunday afternoon. Honestly, I did it 14 years. It was, it was fantastic. Four of those boys who were with me then are still in CFC today. Because God used me to put something into some young lives. Could some people take responsibility here and go, we're going to grow. This church is going to grow. Listen, I'm going to put my hand up and say amen. Take fresh responsibility. And I'm going to skip down to, as I'm nearly finished here. Right at the end, it, it, it's, it's interesting. I call it a, a fresh trust, if you can whip that one up, a fresh trust. 
I, I think when you, whenever you properly end in, uh, you, you properly enter in to what God has called you to, you need at least two things, tr a fresh trust in God and a confidence in the people that you're traveling with. And, and Moses reminds them of the faithfulness of God and how he'd been with them all the way. And every new step of faith requires that you take a new step of faith. You exercise new faith. It becomes easier, but sometimes you've got nothing but the promises of God to hold on to. And you, you can say, as they did, when they get to the end of the chapter, it's, they said, the Lord hates us. When God gave them the, when God said, time to move into the land, they said, they looked and they said, gee, look at the size of those people. Oh my goodness, the Lord hates us. That's, that's what they said. After all he'd done for them. Or you can say, you know, we've lost heart. You can say it's too big a jump. Or you can say this, the Lord hasn't brought you this far to destroy you. The Lord hasn't done all he's done in you in order to knock you back. You can say the Lord will fight for us. You can choose the former and wander for the rest of your lives. Or you can choose to be a traveler with God. Never cease to be on the move. I don't mean, you know, take that for what it means. To be always exploring, always growing, always going, God, we need more of you. I mean, three years ago, could you have done a children's week? You could have held it in your kitchen. There'll come a day when you won't be able to hold it here. Some people need to take fresh responsibility. As I finish, <coughs> Rebecca, as I, as I finish, thank you. As I finish, just, on a, just get down to the personal level. Uh, some of you may be plenty of movement, but you're wandering and you're not traveling. And in a moment, when I finish talking this bit, I'm going to ask you, if you feel you've been wandering and not traveling, I'm going to invite you to stand where you are and give yourself, just publicly, say, but it's a private thing. No, Christianity is always personal but never private. Always personal but never private. It's always a public declaration. I don't want to be a wanderer. I want to be a traveler with God. And it might be that you've actually never said yes to starting that journey of, of taking that first step with God. And you might want today say, you know something, I want to begin my journey. I'm going to say yes to Jesus today. I don't know all that it means or all it's going to take me, but I'm saying yes. I'm inviting him into my life and my heart to forgive my sins, to become my father, and to give me a new life. So if you've been a... a if you feel in your life at the moment, you are wandering and not traveling with God the way you want to. Would you stand where you are right now? It's all gone dark. Nobody can see who's standing and who isn't. Any travelers? Come on. Thank you for your courage. Thank you, thank you for your commitment to say, Lord, if this is a pivotal moment in my life, remember in Scripture there are different words to describe the word time. There's chronos, which is where we get chronological time, but there's kairos, 
And it's a moment in time where heaven breaks through into earth and into our lives. And we get a moment, a revelation that God is speaking to us. And for some of you who have stood today, it's one of those moments. You get a chance again to go, yes, Jesus. I want to be a traveler, not a wanderer. I want to be part of a church that isn't wandering, but traveling and going with God. Father, I want to thank you for the courage of the people who've stood. And Father, for the people who want to stand but just can't. But in their hearts are going, I want to be a traveler. I want to say yes to Jesus. Father, may this be a red letter day in their lives where they get a Kairos moment where they say yes to Jesus Christ and give him their life, hand it over to him in order that he can make them become what they were called to be. Father, where there's repentance that's needed of stuff that's going on in your life that's, that's actually distracting you and sullying the name of God, Father, may you grant them repentance right now as they turn around and say, I want to be a traveler. Father, touch our hearts and our lives today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Hope you enjoyed the podcast today. I hope it encouraged you. There's a few things I'd love you to do. I'd love you to subscribe to our YouTube, iTunes, or Spotify account. This is so you can keep up with our most recent material and messages. If this ministry has impacted your life and you'd love to help us reach others, you can do that right now by going to ariachurch.org and giving now. Cannot wait to see you next week on the Ariat Church podcast.